Today's scripture reading will be taken from Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to 24. I will be reading from the English version, uh, English Standard Version. If you are using the Bibles from the pew, please turn to page 913. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Verse 14, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the inspired word of our God and may God help us to hear it. Thank you. Thanks, Carol, for reading scripture for us. Very good morning, beloved in Christ, and welcome friends and visitors who are among us this morning. Uh, my name is Oliver. I serve as a pastor with the team of elders here at Grace Baptist Church. It is my privilege and joy to be with you here this morning as we continue in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Now, I'm delighted to see all of us gathered here again as a church this morning. Uh, just to hear God's Word. We are in Sermon 2 of our series in Galatians, Faith Alone. You know, my friends, 
if we want hearts that hear and heed God's word, this results only from God the Spirit working in us. So let us pray. Father God, as we look into your Bible this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit be our teacher and guide, that your word be our rule and authority, that your glory be our primary concern. Help all of us see Jesus Christ as revealed in your word. And then, Lord, enable us to live a life shaped by the cross of Christ. Grant that this preaching of your word magnifies Jesus Christ. We pray this for our good and the praise of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in this digital age, when anyone can have access to the internet, you know, they, anyone can have a platform to push their message. How then can we know and trust a person and his message? You know, there, are, there are some ways uh, that we can know. You know if, if we want a medical-related advice, we want a medical personnel, a qualified medical personnel to speak to us, so we can trust a person and his message if the person is an authority in the field. Okay? Or, or, or if the person has demonstrated ethical character, from past record, the person has demonstrated you know, a consistency of integrity and truth-telling. Then we can count on uh, trusting a person's message. Or if you're looking at a report or something that happened, we want someone who is close to the source of what happened. Okay? So if a person is close to the source of his message, we can then trust him as we hear the first-hand account of what they witnessed. This is the same question that the Galatian believers had to grapple with as they faced false teachers who had leveled charges against Paul. How can we know that we can trust Paul and his gospel message? The false teachers or Judaizers had come into the churches in the region of Galatia. They were teaching an adjusted gospel, which was no gospel at all. You know, the false teachers claimed that believers had to add works of the law, circumcision, obeying food laws, observing the Sabbath, in addition to faith in Christ. They had to do that in order to be a Christian. In short, they, the false teachers, they advocated for a gospel class message. They kind of pressed the Gentile believers. They say, hey, you want to be Christians? You first need to be Jews and then to be Christians. And in order to undermine Paul, who opposes them, and to mute Paul's true gospel message, they charged that Paul was a second-rate apostle with a second-hand gospel. They questioned Paul's authority and apostleship and claimed that Paul received his gospel, derived his gospel from the apostles in Jerusalem, and that Paul, after receiving it, Paul had adjusted the message to please Gentile believers. We then believers, you know, brother, beloved, we have to know how we can trust Paul and his message, especially on, a, on an area, a matter as crucial as the gospel, a life and death matter. Now, as we heard from Eugene last week, you know, Paul addressed, in the first half of chapter 1, Paul addressed the churches in Galatia. He defended his apostleship he introduced the gospel, and then he launched into the main thesis of the letter of Galatians. He warned the Galatians against turning to a different gospel. 
he warned them against following the false gospel of works righteousness as advocated by the false teachers. It's so serious that Paul charged and said that to turn away from the true gospel is to be cursed. So we see today in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11-24, Paul there continues to defend the message of the gospel. And today's passage, you can find it in page 913 of the Pew Bibles. So follow with me as we look at today's passage. The big ideas for today's passage is this. The gospel is revelation received from God, not man, that changes lives. And today's outline is in three parts. You can follow along with me. You have the outline in the ministry guide. The gospel is revelation received from God. We see that in the uh, first two verses, verses 11 to 12. The gospel changes lives, verse 13 to the first half of verse 16. And the gospel is not from men, verse 16 to 24. So keep your Bibles open or your smartphone uh, open to your Bible app as we look at today's passage. The gospel is revelation received from God. You know, why, why should we trust the gospel that Paul proclaims? Paul explains why in verses 11 to 12. But if we look at how he starts his argument, he actually starts his argument in verse 10, uh, which is a transition verse. So let me read for us verse 10, which we covered last week, just to recall what is there. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please men? For if I were trying to please men, I will not be a servant of God. We see there's a four in this verse, and the four in this verse probably connects to the charge leveled against Paul made by the false teachers in Galatia. These false teachers claim that Paul trimmed and adulterated his gospel message. And he did this to please and persuade his Gentile hearers and to win people over to his side. Paul tells us that he is not trying to please men. Paul tells us in this very verse that he's concerned not about what people think of what he preaches, but rather his chief concern is about what God thinks and approves. And the reason why Paul seeks to please God and not men is explained in the following two verses. Verse 11, For have you... For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us what he preached was God's true gospel. He denied that it could come from anyone or anywhere else. In verse 11, Paul denies that what he preached was something he or anyone else made up. The gospel is not man's good news about God. The gospel is God's good news for man. And in verse 12, Paul denies that the gospel is something he received from a mere human being. You know, unlike the Galatians themselves who received the gospel from Paul, Paul did not receive it from any other man. You know, no one witnessed to Paul. Uh, no one came up to Paul and passed him a gospel tract or, or someone uh, came up to him to explain the plan of salvation. 
No, no one even sat down with Paul to, to disciple Paul. He was, he was not, as he insists, taught the gospel by any man, nor did he consult with anyone to get it. And if we know the story of Paul, why would he need to? Because Paul himself has seen the risen Christ. The gospel is not an invention, nor tradition, but a revelation, a gracious revelation. That is to say, that is something that was previously unknown that was now made known to us. And it is God who reveals. God has revealed. God has revealed Jesus Christ to Paul. And we see this in verse 12. And and Paul, by saying this, he alludes to his experience on the Damascus Road in Acts 9, when he looked into the heavens and saw Jesus in all his glory. What was shown and unveiled to him at that moment was the essence of the gospel. Because to see the glorious risen Christ is is to know and understand the reality of the cross and the empty tomb. You know, before this, before his experience on Damascus Road, Paul had heard some of the facts about Jesus of Nazareth. He heard this before his conversion. But he rejected them because to his old Jewish self, this was blasphemy. But then Paul saw the same Jesus whom, for whose followers he has been prosecuting, prosecuting, who has been crucified, now disclosed before his very eyes as the Son of God and risen Lord. At that moment, God opened his eyes, spiritually speaking. In an instance, Paul realized that he could never ever get right with God by keeping the law, but by only coming to Christ. Paul received the good news directly from Jesus himself. The gospel is divine revelation. God has graciously revealed it to us. You know, the gospel is not an invention of human ingenuity, and therefore it does not fit neatly into human categories of thinking. The gospel tells us that we human beings, we are sinners. We are incapable of doing anything that will persuade God to be at peace with us. It tells us that reconciliation with our Father God is available to anyone only as a free gift from God by trusting in Jesus Christ to save. Now, Paul refused to compromise the gospel to make it more appealing to unbelievers. Likewise, the call on us, beloved, is to be servants of Christ rather than to please other human beings. You know, beloved, you know, even in this area, I, I, I find myself sometimes tempted. You know, how often are we tempted to tone down or adulterate the gospel to avoid offending others? Perhaps we do not want to offend our friend or colleague or we fear being cancelled if we tell others the gospel. So we downplay sin, we downplay the need for God. Or oh, beloved, we also struggle with wanting to adjust the gospel to suit what we want. You know, rather than having, uh, hearing the gospel as God's message to us, we want to adjust it to suit what we want. We want the gospel to say that we can have health, material wealth, comfort, success right now rather than have the gospel address our most crucial problem. 
That is our need for God to rescue us from our sins. Now, beloved, in what ways do we have to guard against adjusting the gospel to suit our desires? How can we, as a church, as Grace Baptist Church, help one another guard against adjusting the gospel? And the gospel changes lives. How, how can we be sure that the gospel is divine revelation? We can see the impact of the gospel. You know, a common English proverb tells us the proof of the pudding is in the eating. The real value of something can be judged, according to this proverb, only from practical experience or results and not from appearance or theory. The gospel is words, but it's powerful words revealed by God that changes lives. And we see this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 and following, where Paul begins chronologically to detail his biography. He gives a biographical account of his call, his conversion, and his relationship with the influential apostles in Jerusalem as proof that his gospel did not come from any human being, whether from other apostles or by Paul's invention, but that his gospel comes from God. So just hear verse 13 to 16 as I read for us again. You can look, follow with me in your pew Bibles. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach Him, preach Christ among the Gentiles. So Paul tells his story, his testimony, and it begins with his dramatic call to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. You know, the very uh, Christian believers which he previously tried to destroy. You know, only God could transform Paul so radically. And we see the four in verse 13. He introduces us to the reason, tells us the reason why Paul can say that the gospel he preaches comes not from any human being, but through, instead through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We see in these verses his dramatic conversion from church persecutor to a proclaimer of the church gospel message. It shows us the divine nature of the gospel, how it changes someone like Paul. And Paul emphasizes, just to make clear to us, Paul tells us strongly his former commitment to a distinctively Jewish way of life. We see that in verse 14. And not only that, his commitment wasn't stagnant, his commitment was ever-growing. You know, he tells us he was advancing. You know, Paul was an extreme zealot. He was extremely zealous for his beliefs, for his Jewish traditions in which he was raised. In fact, we hear him telling us this in Philippians 3.5. Uh, Paul was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now, Paul was extremely zealous and pious in his way. And Paul describes his former way of life 
to highlight to us the dramatic about face that he experienced. And he tells us that only God could have complete, so completely changed his life's direction. You know, Paul receives God's divine revelation of the gospel in his Damascus road experience. Yet Paul here tells us that, you know, this gospel, this gospel call to him goes further back because verse 15 and 16 tells us that his calling as a Christian and his commission as an apostle was on God's mind long before he was ever born. You know, verse 16 tells us that God was pleased to reveal his son to me, to Paul. And God was pleased to set Paul apart before he was born. We see this in verse 15. And Paul here actually used a clever phrase because the Pharisees themselves considered themselves set apart by keeping God's law. And Paul, having been a Pharisee himself, uh, but Paul tells us that is God did not set him apart merely to keep the law, but God set him apart to preach the gospel. And God set Paul apart from the womb. You know, for those of us who love the stories in the Old Testament, Paul here is almost telling us he's like some Old Testament prophet, like the prophet Jeremiah. You know, if you read Jeremiah 1.5, he too, the prophet Jeremiah was set apart uh, to, uh, to preach God's word from the mother's womb. God claimed Paul's life and ministry while he was still in his mother's womb. And many years later, when the time was right, God was pleased to call Paul by His grace. You know, calling uh, can refer to life events that lead a person to repentance for sin and faith in Jesus Christ. And, and such an effective calling is always by grace because the call shows God's undeserved favour towards sinners. Conversion is all of grace. You know, what, what good news is this for us sinners that we are saved not by our own effort, but by God's grace. Yet calling also refers to God's special plan for someone's life work. God had planned for Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles. We see that God was pleased to reveal Jesus Christ, His Son, to Paul in order that the Paul might preach Christ among the Gentiles. And this verse summarizes Paul's entire life. He preached Christ to the Gentiles. He preached Christ crucified and Christ risen. And the Christ he preached was the same Christ God had revealed to him. You know, Paul does not use the word conversion in this passage to describe his call to preach to the, gospel, uh, the gospel to the Gentiles. No, but it's, it's a good description of what happened to him. Paul was converted in his Damascus Road experience. We see there that God literally turned the direction of Paul's relationship with him 180 degrees. And the Christians that Paul used to persecute said in amazement, he was now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Now, Paul's point in these verses is that only the power and the grace of God could produce such a change in him. You know, there was no human involvement in it, either from Paul or from anyone else. 
what Paul affirms about his conversion is something he demonstrates for everyone who becomes part of God's people. While we were still enemies, Paul tells us in Romans, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. You know, we, it wasn't like we were somewhat partial to God when we became a believer. No, we were God's enemies. But God, in His grace, reached out to us and turned our lives 180 degrees. You know, apart from God's dramatic intervention in the lives of sinners, no one, not a single one of us, would have peace with God. No? Beloved, this, this incredible generosity of God towards us, towards every believer, should promise to thank God, uh, to praise God for His kindness towards us. Because the conversion of any believer is entirely an act of God's free and powerful grace towards sinners. You know, God's choice of who to include among His people is often surprising. I mean, if you think about it, none of the early Christians would have thought that Paul would have become a Christian, right? No one could have guessed that God would choose the great enemy and persecutor of the early church. Paul, you know, he himself a zealous nationalist for his people to become one of the early church most influential preachers of the gospel to all peoples and all nations. Paul's conversion demonstrates for us God's power to change even the worst sinners into His faithful servants. Beloved, this, this is good news for us sinners. You know, some of us may struggle that thing that we have sinned beyond uh, God being able to save us. But God can save anyone, even the worst sinners like us. If that's the case, then we shouldn't presume that God will not reach any particular person. We shouldn't exclude anyone because they struggle with sin or if their lives are broken and messy. We should never assume that anyone is beyond the reach of God's grace. And we should humbly welcome everyone whom God's grace reaches. You know, even as, as I say this, this strikes at me. Because as we look around, there'll be some people that we encounter, we will think, nah, I don't think this person will ever become a Christian. And we hesitate and we hold back from uh, making friends with them, from sharing the gospel with them. And I'm sure that's your experience as well. Perhaps you have that one friend who's incredibly difficult to be with and you think, nah, this person will never uh, receive the gospel. But God has shown us His grace reaches out to everyone. You know, how a person is converted also have applications in how we do outreach and evangelism. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves and transforms lives. It's not good program or good presentation. It's not the skills of the communicator. It's not even providing material support or practical help to those that we want to reach or even having a close relationship with our hearers. Therefore, we, need, we should be clear and faithful in declaring the gospel. You know, I'm not saying that relationships with our listeners is not important or, or not meeting their practical needs is not necessary. But instead, we need to remember that these other things don't save. It is the gospel message that saves. So we need to tell it. We need to speak the gospel. 
We need to let our non-Christian friends hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to my non-Christian friends, we may have some who is visiting with us today among us or hearing uh, the live streaming. Let, let me speak to you for a moment. Do you want peace with God? You know, acknowledge that you have turned away from God and are separated from God. Believe that you were st- when you were still opposing God, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in your place, in my place, for the forgiveness of our sins. And He raised Him to life so that we might have life, so that if we believe in Christ, we might be reconciled with God. Confess that you need Jesus so that you can have peace with God. And my friends, if this is your desire, this is really what you want, you know, speak to any of your Christian friends. You may have some friends who brought you here this morning, or you can speak to any of the elders and pastors. You know, we'd be glad to meet up with you. Uh, I'll be glad to have coffee with you and we get to talk about Jesus Christ. The gospel is not from men. We see how God's divine work changed Paul's life. But how do we know that he didn't receive the gospel secondhand from someone else? You know, Paul's biography continues with a brief review of his work in Arabia and Syria. And in these three years, Paul had no contact with the influential apostles in Jerusalem. Therefore, he could not receive either his gospel or his apostolic authority from them. And we see this in verses 16 to the end of this chapter. Verse 16, let me read for us as you follow along again. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles, I said, James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Paul tells us, at the very start of this section, the main point of this section, Paul tells us he did not consult or confer with anyone. Or if you have the ESV Bible, you look at the footnote uh, with flesh and blood. You know, at the time of the call of Paul's call to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he did not consult or confer with anyone at all. Neither did Paul go to Jerusalem to consult with Peter and the rest of the apostles. You know, this, this description contrasts and emphasizes that God's divinely revealed, God had divinely revealed the gospel message to Paul. You know, th- this account here, in case we think, yeah, you know, we don't have to consult or, or talk to other people about uh, what we, we learn from the word, uh, this account is a unique redemptive event in the life of Paul. It is a special one of situation for Paul. And this does not set for us a model for us modern-day believers. You know, beloved, we have the complete canon of Scripture and we have God given us graciously the community of the church. We should read the Bible, we should do theology, we should live life 
in the context of the church community, led and guided by Scripture. But for Paul, he tells us in verse 18 what happens next. Now, after he received the call to preach the gospel, he spent three years in Arabia and Damascus before his first visit to Jerusalem. In other words, he was already busy preaching and communicating the gospel message. God had called him to preach to the Gentiles for a long time, for three years before he had contact with the apostles in Jerusalem. You know, uh, the false teachers claim he received the gospel secondhand, but he was really preaching for three years before meeting the apostles. And after escaping from the governor of Damascus, Paul travelled to Jerusalem, finally, to visit Cephas. Cephas is the uh, Aramaic uh, form of the Apostle Peter's name. And, and Paul here uses two names interchangeably. You know, Paul, Peter had cl a close association with Jesus Christ, the historical Jesus. And Paul, this motivated Paul to visit him. And this term in the original language hints more than just you know, face to face visit, it hints at in depth discussion and research. It probably means something more than just Paul wanting to have coffee with Cephas or to meet his acquaintance. It's likely that in those 15 days, Paul found all he could from Peter about the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, since Peter had spent three years with Jesus. Next, we see James, the Lord's brother, whom Paul met. And James, the Lord's brother, was not a follower of Jesus during his lifetime. And just with, as with Paul, it took appearance, appearance of the reason Jesus to James to convince him that Jesus' claims were valid. And unlike Cephas, Paul here says that he only saw James, which probably means he met but did not have deep conversations or extensive conversations with him. And in verse 20, we have this curious thing. If you look in your Bible, we have what we call a parenthesis noted in brackets in your Bible. It's like Paul inserting a comment into his uh, biographical account. Here we see Paul making a strong vow. You know, it's almost uh, a vow, same as a vow he would take in a law court. Paul vows that what he says is true. He underlines the truthfulness of what he is saying uh, because he suspects that the opponents of the Galatian church will question his credibility. He's saying no. No, I, I vow that this is really true. Uh, the troublesome false teachers in Galatia uh, who, who seem to have caused this gospel crisis in the Galatian churches, Paul then addressed them there. You know, they had called Paul's integrity into question and Paul was saying, no, no, no. What I'm saying is truth. Finally, Paul introduces the next stage, the final stage in the sequence of events of what had happened to him in verses 21 to 24. After a mere short 15 days of getting no Cephas and making a passing acquaintance with James, he left Jerusalem for Syria and Cilicia in what is in today's south-central Turkey. Paul used the regional names for the two sections of the Roman province of Syria. And if you remember, Paul himself was a native of Tarsus. He was born in Tarsus, an important city in Cilicia. And we read in Acts 9 that after his first post-conversion visit to Jerusalem, the brothers brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And after some time there, Barnabas, who had introduced Paul to the apostles in Jerusalem, 
brought him to Antioch in Syria to join the church there. So as part of Paul's overall case that he had only limited contact with James and Cephas after his conversion, Paul now says in verses 22 to 23 that during his work in Syria and Cilicia, the Christians in Judea knew him only by reputation and not through personal dealings. He was relatively unknown personally in Jerusalem. So just as he was unknown personally in the regions around Jerusalem, he was busy taking the gospel at that time to the Gentiles in Syria and Cilicia. And as we read in Acts 13 to 14 to the Galatians themselves, Paul was telling us that he's doing this not with the permission of those who were apostles before him, but according to God's divine commission to him at the time of his call on the Damascus Road. In Judea, with its high concentration of Jews and strong connection to the influential apostles in Jerusalem, did not receive Paul's attention. We see that Paul preached the gospel, the gospel that transformed Paul, and the gospel that he preached to the Gentiles was not something he made up, but is the same gospel that other Christians also believe. Because we see that although believers across Judea did not know Paul well, they nevertheless thanked, worshipped, and glorified God for Paul's transformation and what God has done in and with Paul. Paul finally points to and celebrates God's grace in rescuing him to the glory of God. You know, Paul's conversion account points not to himself, but to the God who transformed him. He reminds us in verse 24 that God should receive all glory for this transformation. You know, we are familiar with testimonies, with stories of God's transforming power through the gospel. We've heard this in church history or when we receive members uh, through baptisms and transfer into this church. But Paul makes clear in other places in his letters that such accounts of how God works in the lives of other believers are often encouraging and helpful to us. However, telling such stories to others should bring attention not to the person telling the story, nor how good a storyteller the person is, but to God. Beloved, it's important that we examine the stories, testimonies we tell. Okay? We should tell testimonies to build others up. And we want to build others up by telling them clearly of the gospel. You know, beloved, in our life together as a church, often speak of how God in Christ has saved you from your sins. And also talk often of God's ongoing work in your life. You know, when we meet in our small groups over meals or over recreation, you know, playing badminton or something else, you know, you can, you can tell them, tell me your conversion story of how you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. But if it's someone that you've already met and heard their story, you can also ask them, you know, share with me how God, by His grace, right now has been working in your lives. And as we share the story of what God is doing in our lives and God's goodness and grace to us, together we give glory to God. You know, beloved, why should we trust the gospel that Paul proclaims? How can we be sure that the gospel is divine revelation? How do we know that Paul didn't receive the gospel 
secondhand from someone. Now we see in this verses here, this section that the gospel is revelation received from God, not man, that changes lives. And our response, we should listen to the apostolic gospel from Scripture and to proclaim it faithfully and unadulterated. You know, as pastor and author Kevin DeYoung writes, God's gracious self-disclosure comes to us through the Word made flesh and, the, and by the inscripturated Word of God. These two modes of revelation reveal to us one God, one truth, one way, and one coherent set of promises, threats, and commands to live by. We must not seek to know the Word who is divine apart from the divine words of the Bible. And we ought not to read the words of the Bible without an eye to the Word incarnate, that is Jesus Christ. Beloved, how would the truth that the Gospel is God's divine Word change how we treat it? If the Gospel is God's divine words, it means that we can have confidence in the Gospel. We can have settled trust in God's Word. Beloved, we can trust the Gospel. We can have settled confidence in the Bible. The New Testament comprises eyewitness testimony of the apostles. And the Old Testament was written by prophets inspired by God. The whole Bible points to and finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Beloved, let us know our Bibles. Let us treasure it. Let us read it. Let us study it. Let us talk to others about it. Let us memorize it. Let us reflect on it. But above all, let us guard it. Let's do this together in our church community. Let us together know the unadjusted, unadulterated gospel. And in doing so, experience the changing, life-changing, transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also see that the gospel repudiates, it opposes, uh, works righteousness. You know, human beings, we are sinful. We tend to lean towards self-justification and works righteousness. What this means is this, rather, rather than uh, trusting that God's uh, make us right, uh, come us right with Him by faith, we think that we have something that we can do to contribute. We want to contribute our works. And, and this is something we struggle with. I struggle with it daily. Every time we go about uh, interacting with others as we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we struggle with our inner lawyer. We struggle uh, with, uh, with us wanting to justify ourselves. And we see this happening in two ways in our churches today. One way is the charismatic era, where the gospel once revealed almost seems not enough and has to be supplemented by new prophecies and spiritual signs and wonders. Beloved, we ought to reject any adjustment of the gospel in this manner. But Grace Baptist Church, I'm speaking to all of us here, you know, in, in case we like to point out to errors out there, let us be aware of the errors we ourselves lean towards. Traditionalism. We can be zealous for man-made traditions rather than God's divine word revealed. We can let things like our church constitution, our dress code, 
or simply what we have always done, supplant our allegiance to the gospel and the word alone. Beloved, let us reject traditionalism. You know, tradition in its time uh, and, and context may be good, but let us reject traditionalism and let us let only the gospel and the word shape us. May GBC be a church reformed by the word and always being reformed by the word. Remember that the gospel is a gracious revelation that we receive from God, not men, that changes our lives. And this gospel of Jesus Christ is what we hold on to by the grace of God. And this gospel is what we have hold our allegiance to. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this grace of revelation, for displaying yourself generally in creation, specifically in Scripture, and most clearly in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your gospel, proclaimed by Paul and apostles, and having been communicated to us. We are thankful for your gospel that saves sinners like us, which changes our lives. We ask that you enable us to live lives worthy of the gospel and to bring you much glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.